If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to keep it open at uh, Psalm 77 because we're going to look at all the verses in this psalm. When the good old days are gone is the title of the sermon today. Now, when you think of the good old days, what feelings do they evoke? Well, recalling the good old days can sometimes enkindle feelings of fondness, of nostalgia. So you remember, say, the days when Candy, the Candy Man, sells you candy in pieces which he hammers from a big piece of block. Do you remember those days? If you're older, you remember that. Do you remember the days when television sets had channel knobs and the youngest sibling is the one assigned to go and change the channel for you? Do you remember the days when you had to write your paper from a typewriter? When you make mistakes, you use snow paint to uh, make some corrections and you, you blow it to dry it up. The days when you needed a telephone line to connect to the internet. The days uh, when buses did not have air conditioning and you were fine with it. The good old days when chicken rice was only $2 a plate. The good old days of taking photos using uh, rolls of Kodak, and uh, because your shots are limited, you cannot be trigger happy. Recalling those good old days evoke nostalgic feelings, and they make us smile. But sometimes, thinking of the good old days bring instead grief. It makes one woebegone, desolate. The widow will tell you that. When she longs wistfully, the good old days, her husband would bring her to church every Sunday, and they would stay back for a bowl of laksa. Children will tell you of the good old days of dad before dad had the massive stroke, which bounds him to bed, binds him to bed. Now, some here ache for the good old days before mental illness visits the home. We recall the good old days before relationships soured and now distrust and animosity pollutes the air. We recall them with pain. And then when I speak to retirees, they proudly tell me of the good old days when they held respectable positions in the workplace and how they would every month bring home the bacon with pride. To all these people, to all of us, remembering the good old days rends the heart because the good old days are over. And as one song puts it, the magic is not here no more. There's nothing else you could do and you just remember them all too well. Psalm 77 is a song that laments to the same tune, the tune of bemoaning the loss of the good old days. Now, if this psalm was written during the Babylonian captivity, the psalmist, who is identified here as Asaph, the psalmist was suffering nostalgia. Now, we know from First Chronicles that the Asaphites, the sons of Asaph, they were in charge of playing cymbals, and they sang songs of thanksgiving to the Lord. But now with the temple ransacked, 
and destroyed, and many of them exiled to a strange land. The music is gone. The Levitical musicians, they are now jobless. And they wondered, they must have wondered, if days of praise and worship will ever return again. Because now their lyres are all hanging on trees. Perhaps some of the strings loose. Their songs stuck dry in their mouths. So nostalgia strikes them. Now I read that the word nostalgia means homecoming pain. So a Swiss physician in the 17th century, he coined the term nostalgia uh, from two Greek words, nostos and algos. Nostos, algos, which meant homecoming and pain. And it described of Swiss soldiers who missed home when they were fighting the 30-year war. Symptoms of nostalgia include melancholy, bouts of weeping, insomnia, loss of appetite, sometimes hearing voices and seeing people from places that one is missing, whether it is imagined or whether it is dreamt. See if you can spot symptoms of homecoming pain. First slide. The psalmist says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Bouts of weeping, melancholy, insomnia. Verses 1 to 2 describe what the psalmist does with his pain. He cries out to God when the sun is up. He cries out to God still at sundown. He cries out the whole night arms open, without quitting, without rest. Why? Because nothing can relieve him. Next slide. When I remember God, he says, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. So why does he grumble when he remembers God? Why does he feel low? His energy all dried up. Why does he fall flat every time he ponders about God? Now, he doesn't tell us, not yet, because he wants to go back and describe more about his evenings. Next slide. He says, you hold my eyelids open, and I am so troubled that I cannot speak. See, verse 2 just now, he tells us that he had no rest, with his outstretched arms, outstretched hands, there is no rest for his soul. And now here in verse 4, he tells us that those evenings were very long nights, filled with tossing and turning in bed, filled with staring at the ceiling. Nights were like days to him because sleep escapes the psalmist. Now, sleep, my friends, is always associated with God's blessing. Now, if you ask anyone in their golden years, they will tell you that to be able to eat, to be able to poop, to be able to sleep, it is a blessing. 
It is a blessing. The Bible tells us God gives his beloved sleep. Psalm 127. I will lie down and sleep because the Lord make me dwell in safety. Psalm 4. Sweet sleep is associated with God's blessing. And so here, sleep deprived, the psalmist blames God. He says, you hold my eyelids open. God is the one responsible for his insomnia. Sleepless, he couldn't have woken the person beside him. You know, Psst, are you asleep? He didn't do that. Why? Because he is so troubled, he is withdrawn. He is silent. And his sleep, or rather his grief, causes his tongue to stick to his jaws. And because sleep evades him, because his mind is active, couldn't sleep at night, what does he do? Well, he visits memory lane. He thinks of the good old days. Next slide. He says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. The good old days, perhaps, of making music with a team of musicians. The good old days of performing with a choir in the temple. The good old days in the promised land. The good old days of being at home. Then the psalmist pulls out a familiar song from his playlist, also known as the song in the night. Because we are told that priests, what they do is that they stand every morning thanking and praising the Lord, and they do the same thing at night, likewise in the evening, continually before the Lord. And so think of songs perhaps like this one, which was recorded for us, a song that was sung by Asaph and his brothers to the Lord. Verse 8, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. This is taken from 1 Chronicles chapter 16. It is King David's song of thanksgiving and praise, which he instructed Asaph and his brothers to sing. And as you can see, the song praises the Lord for his strength, for his wondrous works, for his miracles, for his judgments against the nations. And still, from David's song, next slide. When you were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. 
So when the psalmist recalls his song in the night, song that was sung by his ancestors, Asaph and the brothers, he cannot help remember the days of old. He cannot help remember the years long ago. You know why? Because songs, they bring back memories. Old songs bring back memories, don't they? You hear an old song, and it transports you back to your younger days. You remember the boy. You remember the girl. You remember teenage love. You remember promises that were made. Songs make you remember. The psalmist recalls a song that was sung before, and it transports him back to time. It leads him to remember God. It leads him to remember his love, the promises that he has made. He remembers God. That is why he moans. He murmurs. And the more he thinks about it, the more he feels low. My spirit faints, he says. Why? Because the days of old, the years of long ago, are past. The good old days are gone. And so, yes, he may remember a song, but he does not remember the feeling. It no longer moves him. You know, a brother once told me that there was a time he hated the song, Blessed Be Your Name. You know that song? There's a line in that song that goes, You give and take away, you give and take away, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And he hated those lines. Because when that song was sung, it was sung at a time when his wife had a miscarriage. And he says, Lord, blessed be your name? He questions. The psalmist remembers a song sung from days of old, sung during the good old days, but now he cannot bear to sing it. He is so troubled, he cannot speak. There's no more rhyme to the song. The music just fades in the background. And yet, because songs composed by musicians and psalmists are, in a sense, prophecy, they are, in a sense, prophetic word, it does something to the soul. And so when the psalmist played the song in his head again and again, he says, let me meditate in my heart. He plays the song again and again. It led him to some serious thinking. It led him to question or test his belief about God. Next slide. He asks, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he, in anger, shut up his compassion? And so he reflects and he asks, has God stopped loving? Has he rejected the psalmist? Has he broken his promises? Has his compassion run out? 
because the present situation suggests that that is the case. He could not feel God's love. He couldn't see a promising tomorrow. However, it looks like now, it sure looks like that God's grace has emptied because the present stinks. It couldn't be like the good old days. And so when your present situation makes you painfully long for the past, it may lead you to murmur. It may lead you to question God. You may ask, for example, where were the days when my husband held on to a job? Because now he is battling depression. You may ask, what happened to the years that whatever I touch turns to gold? But now, whatever you venture into ends folding up. You may ask, where were the years when I always scored A's and now I couldn't handle my stress? Where were the years, the glorious years of winning every competition? Because now doctors tell you that your injury is telling you to retire. Whatever your present condition is, if you find yourself suffering, self-pitying nostalgia, and longing for the good old days, well, I'll tell you what, you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone in looking back and telling yourself, maybe God has stopped loving. Maybe he has rejected me. Maybe he turned back on his promises. If you have entertained those thoughts, you are not alone. If you have pined for the better yesterdays, you are not alone. It is a common affliction that bugs all of us. And that is why the uh, preacher in Ecclesiastes, he tells us to stop saying, why were the former days better than these? And he says, it is not from wisdom that you ask such question. But brothers and sisters, God is not a former God. He is not the God of yesteryears. God is not the teenage boy of your younger years who promises you to, that he will never give up, never let you down, never run around, and never desert you. That's not God. And so, if you bemoan the loss of the good old days, here is the cure to your nostalgia, to your homecoming pain. Next slide. Psalm says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. And so after some serious thinking, the psalmist resolves instead to remember the times when God showed his power via his right hand. Now, two weeks back, we learned, we looked at Psalm 74, that the right hand of God symbolizes God's power and God's strength, of which Moses sings in his song. He says, your right hand, O Lord, it's glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Your right hand, O Lord, you stretch it out 
and the earth swallowed the enemies. The right hand of God symbolizes his unmatched power against his enemies. And the psalmist decides to focus his thoughts on the unchanging power of God. He does this. Instead of remembering the good old days, and you know, have self-pity and cry over spilled milk, he decides to remember the good old might of God, the power of the ancient of days. And so he continues and he says, next slide, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders, and you have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeem your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So how does remembrance of God's right hand, you know, the mighty right hand of the Lord, how does it answer doubting questions about God's love, about God's compassion, and about God's promises? Well, the right hand of God reminds one of his mighty deeds, particularly the might that he displayed when he redeemed his people from Egypt. You and I know how he did that. He did not require aid from foreign nation. He did not even have to pay the Egyptians gold and silver to redeem their people. On the contrary, it was the Egyptians who had to pay God's people or give God's people gold, silver, and clothing. This all highlights the greatness of God. There is no one like him. His way is holy. And the word holy here means fearsome, so frightening that it commands reverence, respect, and obedience. So moving on, more descriptions of the frightening power of God. We find that in verse 16 to the end. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet, your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So how dreadfully powerful is God's might? Now, I don't know about you, but the waters scare me. You know, I just get into a bathtub and I get scared. So I never go to the swimming pool. The Jews, we are told by scholars, are never fond of the seas. Great waters frighten them. Well, the great waters that may frighten you and I, they don't frighten God. It's the other way around. 
God frightens the waters. And the waters below and above, the seas and the sky, they get so frightened that they obey Him. That's what the psalmist tells us. They get so frightened that they obey Him. And that is why verse 17 tells us, or rather verse 19 tells us, that God's holy way was through the sea, through the great waters. It means He appears and they part in fear of Him. And to further, further display God's frightening power, the psalmist says, God is invisible. His footprints are unseen. God is invisible. So in poetic language, the psalmist says the waters see God, they saw him, and they're spooked. The problem is you and I don't even see him. And how supposedly is that more frightening? It is. You don't see him. And that is supposedly more frightening. Creation obeys God. Circumstances take orders from God. Yet, we do not see his footprints. That is the frightening power of the Most High. It commands reverence. It commands obedience. The psalmist resolves to remember the right hand of the Most High. Instead of remembering the good old days and feel desolate. And so now you and I may ask, well, tell me, how does remembering the power and might of God, how does that help answer our questions and our doubts? You know, the psalmist does not tell us. He doesn't tell us how that answers. He just offers us his resolution, which is he decides to look at the right hand of God. That's it. Perhaps he wants us to continuously ponder on the might of God and then leave the results of such meditation to us. And so how does the right hand of God answer questions about his love and compassion? How does recalling his wondrous works answer questions about the promises of God? Well, here is a background to the second part of the psalm. Next slide. God tells Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God acted mightily. Why? Because he heard the cries of his people, because he had compassion on them, because he loved them to want to make them his people and then bring them to the promised land. And so pondering upon God's might does answer our questions of God's love and his compassion and of his promises. And so are you mourning the loss of the good old days? 
the psalm dares us. Go ahead, cry aloud to God. Go ahead, tell him about it. Tell him that you find no consolation. Tell him that you feel betrayed. Tell him that he has failed you. Go ahead. But then ponder. Ponder and meditate on his holy way. Think of his right hand that never fails to save. His right hand that redeems and rescues. His right hand that holds on to you tightly and leads you as a shepherd leads his sheep. You know, in closing, I must tell you that uh, verse 10 of this psalm, which serves as a very nice, beautiful turning point, verse 10 is interesting because it has two possible translations, right? The ESV, if you use the ESV, it reads, I will appeal to this, the years of the right hand of the Most High. But then other versions of the Bible, such as the NASB, says, this is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Why are there two possible translations? Because in the original text, the word appeal can be translated as uh, grief, infirmity, or weakness. And the word years can be translated as the word change or altered. So the Jewish Bible translation prefers the second translation, which is, this is my grief, that the right hand of God has changed. Wherein the psalmist admits that his failing, that his weakness is that he misinterpreted misinterpreted his present circumstance to mean that God's might has changed. Now, if the other translation is a better translation, maybe the psalmist's weakness, maybe his failing is your weakness, is your failing, is my failing, is my weakness. Because we use our present circumstance to assess God. We use whatever happens to us today to evaluate God. And we misinterpret our present trying situation to mean that God has, has changed. That's why we sigh and long for the former better days when God has been good to us. That is our fault. That is our failing. But whichever translation you choose, the overall message does not change much. When the psalmist longs for the good old days, he becomes miserable. When he remembers the, that the past times are not coming back, he becomes desolate. But he makes a resolution. He resolves instead to remember the unchanging right hand of God. Instead of remembering the good old days, instead of remembering the good old years, he makes a resolution to remember the good old might of God, the power 
of the Ancient of Days. And you and I will do well to do the same. Let us pray. Lord, forbid it that we doubt your love, that we doubt your compassion, that we doubt your promise when hard times befall us. Help us to look once again to your great might, your mighty hand that saves. Help us to remember Jesus, your Son, whom you have graciously given to us and granted us forgiveness and reconciliation because of his death for us. It is in your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we have such an assurance of safety from your judgment and from your wrath. It is in your Son that we have the certainty of the eternal dwelling with you and with your people. And so help us not to focus on the days gone by and mourn, but rather look to your Son and the sure eternity with him. And so rejoice always, no matter what happens this side of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.